Wayne. How you been? Yeah, I've been well. And you? Yeah, busy, busy. Getting now that things are rolling again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, private started up again, so that's good. Private has uh, at the end of I think next at the end of, end of this month, hundred percent. Hey everyone, welcome to Anesthesia Coffee Break. I'm Lahiru. And I'm Stan. And today we have a very special guest, Mandy Barrett. Yeah, look, I know uh, Dr. Mandy Barrett very, very well from the Northern Hospital where I was a trainee. She's a, been a big inspiration and she does a lot of work outside of medicine, which many people may not know of. And I know she probably doesn't want to tell me this, but she actually won the highest award in Mongolia recently, the, the Polar Star Award for all her works. Yeah, so she's an amazing soul. And I did go with her to Mongolia in 2014 to do some teaching there. And, and Lenny's an amazing educator. And I'm so um, happy that she's agreed to come on to talk to us about a really um, interesting but esoteric topic. But I think that's one that does get asked um, either in the Viva, and I don't think it's been asked in the written yet, but always a possibility. So Mandy, thank you so much for coming on and welcome. Thanks for having me and thanks for that kind introduction, Stan. Let's talk about herbal medications. And I think that to start off with, uh, you know, Mandy, like how, how would you go about if you got asked about herbal medications and its relevance to anesthesia? Um, that's a good question, Stan. So um, I think what most of us um, are aware of is that a large proportion of patients actually are using herbals for indications and they often won't disclose that they're using them um, and I think it's important to bear in mind that um, what you don't ask about you will never find out about um, that goes for both herbals and for illicit drugs which is what we're going to talk about a little bit later on and I think the most important thing is to do to do is to work out what it is that people are taking including over-the-counter and herbals um, and some of those uh, some of the things to keep in mind are that Herbals come in all shapes and forms. And I think that that's uh, something that can be tricky for us because you can take herbals as a tea or as a different formulation, sort of powders, that sort of stuff. So it's actually quite tricky. When you ask a patient, they don't see that as medication. And I think that's one of the most important things to realise when you're um, starting to think about what herbal medications are all about. Um, and when we think about herbals, we sort of got to work about, uh, think about, well, what are some of their actions? Um, and there, there will be some pharmacological actions. There'll be also be some pharmacokinetic um, interactions. Um, and that will be important for when we're thinking about other medications that are commonly used. Um, and many of these agents will act on the cytochrome P450 system. Yeah, I've got to confess, I just don't take much of a herbal medication, alternate medication history. And maybe I could be, again, I could be being really silly right now, but I've always thought that uh, except for the G's that have some blood thinning effects from fish oil, a lot of them don't have such an impact on my anesthetic. But, you know, I, I suspect I'm wrong here and that's why we're having this chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, not entirely actually, Lahiri, because... Um, I don't know that there's actually a lot of evidence that uh, we need to be too worried about it. And sometimes we overstate things. Um, 
there certainly are some drugs that will cause um, potentially liver uh, failure. And so that's something that we need to keep in mind. But, you know, aside from the fact that there's going to be hepatic toxicity, in terms of the anaesthetic, that's not usually a problem. Um, but there are some. Um, and so we, what we have at the moment is this kind of blanket rule um, the ASA um, in America and um, the ANSCA have this rule that we should ask about the herbals and ask patients to stop them for two weeks is the kind of the blanket recommendation. And I think that what, um, what that tells us is that we, um, we're trying to apply the same rule to lots of different things, which, as we know, doesn't always work out. Um, particularly if you think about other medications, you wouldn't be asking a patient to stop them for two weeks. Um, and it's not necessary often. And you'll, you'll get the odd patient that'll turn up and they haven't stopped it. And so what do you do there? Do you cancel their case? Well, I don't know that that's necessary. Um, and I, I think you just need to know what it is that you might encounter with that medication and mitigate risk. And, you know, clearly if someone's got liver failure that's going to be a problem but if someone's got just a mild platelet inhibition um, then you can usually work with that um, unless they're on a, a other anticoagulants and, and that duration of two weeks is really interesting um like often when you think of often with when we when we stop drugs uh, we base it on either the half-life of the drug or, or its physiological actions on you know let's say platelets which you stop it for uh, seven days. So where do you think the two weeks uh, has come from? I think that's come from a position of let's try and be safe um, with, with as many of these as we can. And so as Lahira said, the G drugs we've got to worry about. So the, um, the ginseng, garlic, ginkgo, um, ginger, we've got to worry about the antiplatelet effects and potentially anticoagulant effects of those ones. And so they're important to know about. Um, and I guess because it's platelets, we worry about the duration of, of action on platelets. And so I think that's where that's come from. Um, but I, I don't. some of the others, of course, um, there hasn't been a lot of data on. So people will just say, we'll just stop it for two weeks and then it should be mostly cleared. Um, so most of, it, most of it will be metabolised by then. Um, but, you know, we've got to work out why the patient's taking the medication. Um, so what is it that they're trying to achieve with it? Um, and there are some medications that you've got to worry about. Well, there might be some sort of withdrawal. So something like valerian, for instance, which is a little bit of a sedating agent. Um, and, you know, that works in a similar way to, uh, to benzos. So you've got to work, worry about whether or not they might get even a bit of a withdrawal if you do that. So if you know what it is and what they're on it for, then usually you can work out um, if it's necessary to stop or if they haven't stopped, whether it's important, going to be important to you. Amanda. Not great. Do you have a list of, say, of, like within, like, is there just a common set of medications that are the most important ones to consider? Like we went through the G's, fish oil, valerian. Is there another couple that are just commonly, I think St. John's Wart's a big in, lavendin inducing one. Is any, um, does that kind of encompass most of the ones that we really need to care about? Yeah, I think you're right there, uh, Lahiru. I think there's only a few that we've got to worry about, but then you know, there's always something on the horizon that people take <laughs> and the weird and wonderfuls um, that, you know, you it'll be like just as, as it is with any new medication that you come across, you've got to look it up, don't you, um, and work out and see if there's any evidence 
um, for interactions. And so I think the main, there's, there's probably about nine or 10 that you've got to know a little bit about. And I wouldn't say that you need to know a whole lot about these things. If you look at the literature, um, a lot of the review articles on uh, herbals in a, and anesthesia will, will give you a table of medications. And I must confess, it's very hard to remember the detail in the tables. And uh, I think that for first parters, that's going to be a tricky thing to do. So I honestly, I haven't had a good uh, system for remembering stuff, um, except that I think it's important to prioritise the ones that you do need to know about. So St John's wash, I think is really important to know about. So that's one that is commonly used and it actually has got um, sort of pharmacological effect. Um, and as with other herbals, there's usually more than one active ingredient. Um, so St John's wort's got more than one active ingredient. And the effects um, of St John's wort, are, of course, people use it for anti uh, as an antidepressant, but also for anxiety and sort of symptoms of agitation, that sort of thing. And um, so it has some pharmacological effects, including um, anti-serotonergic effects, um, oh, sorry, serotonergic effects. Um, they'll inhibit the um, monoamine oxidase in, um, uh, system and it in, also induces cytochrome P450. So you can expect the, um, the perioperatively what uh, might happen is that you might have a uh, serotonin, serotonergic crisis if you've got... Um, interactions with other medications, particularly um, uh, SSRIs, but um, there may also be a bit of a sedative effect, plus there'll be some problems with um, metabolism of other agents. And so you want to stop that, well, you want to know about it, and if you do know about it and find out about it early enough, particularly in the pre-admission clinic, you want to stop that for at least five days. But again, this blanket rule of two weeks usually <laughs> is what we'll consider safe. Um, so that's something to know about. Do you have and, a, go on. Sorry, do you have a sense of um, how contraindicated it is? Like say someone's on St. John's Ward, they haven't stopped it, um, and you, 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 know, you wouldn't cancel elective op operation, but would you then not use tramadol or serotonin active um, uh, pain med? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to gauge what the level of contra contraindication it, it might be, or it's, it's not really known. Um, well, again, it's all going to be dose dependent too. So um, like we, uh, Tramadol, <laughs> um, St. John's Wort actually comes in different formulations and different doses. So you, you might want to know what dose the patient is on and have a sense of what's considered a high or at least a therapeutic dose because um, there'll be patients that are on it that are just on a small amount and that really won't make much difference and if you you'll already know that if you increase your dose of tramadol that'll increase the amount of ser um, serotonin syndrome that you might see so it, that would be where i would go with that i don't think it's absolutely contraindicated to give um, tramadol in a small dose if you're going to use it for analgesia if there's nothing else that you've got but we do have alternatives and so you know you might start with something else first and then you know obviously if it's not working for you you might consider if tramadol is if you've got a good indication, you can use it and then just monitor the patient for serotonergic symptoms. One of the things that you might see with St. John's wort is actually drowsiness after 
um, your anaesthetic. So if you've got a patient who's taking a long time to emerge, uh, you might want to consider that this might be the cause. Um, and of course, there's no antidote. You just wait, don't you? It's like with anything, <laughs> enough time and it, and it will wear off or your anaesthetic will wear off. Get, get the CT scan and, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it yeah. could be, you could have a sort of a, um, a sort of a, a higher threshold. You could just wait a bit longer. You know, don't send them to CT straight away if, they, if you know that they're on St. John's Ward, particularly in emergency. Um, That's really good. Um, so for all the trainees out there listening, um, you know, if someone gets, someone asks you a question and you've got St. John Awards, uh, just to summarise, it, um, it causes induction of the cytochrome P450. And so then you can think about different drugs which, are, um, which require the cytochrome P450 enzymes like warfarin. Yeah. And, and then it also inhibits neurotransmitter reuptake, which increases your serotonin levels. And then as Manny was saying, that's going to have interactions with uh, tramadol. And then it causes sedation, which may affect your anesthetics. Yeah, that's a really good list to have and, and a really good sort of starting point for, for one of the most, most important um, herbal medications. And one of the things I do want to um, just highlight is there have been some cases of cardiovascular collapse with it. So, you know, again, you just treat things as they, as they emerge. So you can't always predict some of these things. So you just got to treat it if it happens. Um, so just be aware. Cardiovascular collapse uh, during anesthesia attributed to St. John's Ward. Yeah. And again, how do you separate that out? Like, I don't know, if you've seen one of my charts, you'll see that um, hypotension is quite common after induction. So, um, And and everyone's chart. (laughs) That means you've done the appropriate anesthetic dose, right? (laughs) Um, But so the other thing is, of course, in elderly patients, although... I don't know that that's very common, but you might get the odd patient who's elderly who's on this. Um, they've got a bit of uh, uh, clouded sensorium or confusion. This might be part of the reason that they're getting it. So, um, yeah, you just need to be aware of that. One of the other things that um, for anaesthetists with um, St. John's Wood is that it does increase the metabolism of L-fentanyl and Dazlan. So you might it can be unpredictable <laughs> as to what effect you're going to have with your drugs. That, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good list uh, for St. John Awards. Um, now, now I think like you and yourself mentioned all the G herbal medications and what, what list do you have uh, for all the, for all the G herbal medications? Well, I've got stuff, uh, a large number of, of medications that will interact with platelets, but the one, the most important ones are garlic um and lots of people take garlic you'll be surprised um and you know it's supposed to be an, um anti um sorry uh it's supposed to be used for treatment of hypertension but i don't think it's that effective for hypertension but certainly um it has a um hmg coa reductase inhibition so it will lower cholesterol so probably quite good for you if you've got cardiovascular disease um, and it's used to treat atherosclerosis and the antiplatelet effect I imagine would be quite useful um, if you've got cardiovascular risk factors and so people will uh, like to take garlic um, but of course the antiplatelet effect will increase your risk of bleeding theoretically and really that's probably a, a, again dose dependent um, and patient, there are a number of patients who take really high amounts, large amounts of garlic, but um, 
there aren't, I don't think there are that many. A lot of patients will take a mixture of stuff. Um, and so they might take a garlic tablet and something else, but um, often the dose of garlic's not that high in some of them. So just be aware of the formulation. Again, a bit like St. John's, work out what dose it is that they're taking and then you can work out whether or not you need to worry about it. Um, so garlic's the, the first one. Um, the other, and, of course, its antiplatelet effect can be significant. Um, the other one I um, always think about is ginseng. Um, now, ginseng... It comes, uh, there's a kind of an American one and there's a, um, I think there must be a, an Asian one and then another, I can't remember where else it's grown. There's like three types of ginseng around the world. So um, we kind of lump them all together, but they're not all the same. Um, so it's supposed to have a mild sympathomimetic effect. Um, but what it, so it's used to treat um, diabetes um, and it's a, a weight loss medication and it also improves well-being. So there might be some, uh, and, and one of the, the papers that I read said it was a mild aphrodisiac. So you might see some patients on ginseng for those <laughs> And again, this is one that might cause an antiplatelet effect, but uh, one of its um, probably... Uh, important effects other than antiplatelet effects for anesthetics is um, it may cause hypoglycemia um, as well if it's used with other agents or so oral hypoglycemic. So be aware of that. And so, again, if you've got a patient that's not waking up, you might want to check their glucose. <laughs> um, but um, like I said, if they hadn't stopped at ginseng for two weeks, I don't think I'd be too worried about it. it. You know, the minimum time to stop it is supposed to be seven days, but I wouldn't be too worried about it. It can actually cause some cardiovascular effects like um, uh, tachycardia and hypertension as well. Um, so that's the other thing to know about because it's of its sympathomimetic effect. But that's mild, so it's not usually a big problem with ginseng. Okay, so might make you feel great, um, make you more attractive. Um, and so it, it also improves your mood a little bit. But it'll drop you, it'll make you look slim and drop your sugar. So that's that's why people like to use ginseng. I'm, um, I'm wondering, yeah, we, sh we should be all be on ginseng. Sounds like the miracle drug. <laughs> uh, the only problem for you, Lahiru, is that it might cause gonocomastia. Oh, don't want that. No. Yeah. No, no, don't listen to Mandy. Look, I, I grew up with that. Uh, ginseng and garlic when I was growing up in uh, Malaysia. That, that's, the, that's the secret to uh, good cardiovascular health. That's why um, we're all walking around in our hundreds, still running around in, in the, uh, <laughs> around, around because of all the garlic and ginseng that we eat. I, th I think you're talking about Okinawan Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other two Gs are ginger and ginkgo. Um, so ginger is used quite a lot um, and you might see some pregnant women on ginger because it's got an anti-nausea effect. Um, so uh, patients like to take it for that reason, um, but it's also a little bit anti-inflammatory. Um, but ginger has got a number of effects as well, including the antiplatelet effect and inhibits serotonergic pathways and stimulates the GI tract, which presumably is how it stops you from feeling too sick. Um, so that's another one. Um, again, you need to stop it probably two weeks before surgery for, for ginger. Um, so that's the other G one that we need to think about. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I use a lot of ginger in cooking. So maybe I... Um... I was about to say, I mean, is the, I use so much ginger and garlic. I think I use all the 
you know, non-ginseng, non-ginkgo herbs in my cooking that maybe my blood's extra thin. Oh, that's, why. that's why you look eternally young, uh, both of you. Thanks, that's very kind, Justine. Uh, <laughs> <bruising is> <laughs> uh, yeah, so ginger um, is an inhibitor of thromboxane synthetase, so that's how it works for the antiplatelet um, effect. So. I've got to confess that I'm pretty sure in the latest SAMBA guidelines, or even the, the one previously, they said that ginger has minimal effect of any, so they were... They were saying, yeah, all the normal drugs, acupressure P6, I think it is, but not yeah. ginger. Yeah, it doesn't help with nausea. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe that's post-operative yeah. nausea vomiting. Yeah, yeah. But lots of patients will try it for um, for um, particularly pregnant women who've got um, emesis. Yeah. So um, that's the ginger one. Um, I don't know about you. It makes me feel better. Um, and the, the last one in that group of medications will be the ginkgo. Um, lots of people like ginkgo because it's supposed to help you with your memory. <laughs> Maybe I should be on that. Um, and it's uh, it's supposed to be neuroprotective. It's got free radical scavenging effects and some antiplatelet effects as well. So again, um, but its duration of action is probably a bit less, so it doesn't need to be um, stopped for two weeks. Probably thirty-six hours is enough for that one. Okay. And do you know if there's any good evidence about the memory? I mean, maybe, I mean, this is a, the ability to memorize for our exams is going to be a, it's a massive, massive takeaway that, that could be utilized. Is there, is there much good evidence for the, um, yeah, the memory retaining effects? Uh, there's not much good evidence for any of this, really. Oh, okay. And I think that's the problem. Um, but, yeah. you know, you can try it if you like. Um, the only problem is that it, it um, may actually reduce the seizure threshold in children. So that's something to, to be aware of. Okay. Um, but so, um, so right now, stick, stick to the memory palace, stick to learning tables. and uh, Yeah, I think that's probably better. It sounds good. And repetition is the is a secret to learning, isn't it? Yep. And, and ginkgo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other thing that you might see it used for is intermittent cortication. So there'll be some patients um, who've reported um, improvement in their um, their cortication symptoms if they use ginkgo. Okay. So oh, they're, great. They're the G drugs. Um, go the on. Other, the other blood thinning one then, fish oil? Would yeah, be fish oil. Yeah. yeah. Again, I don't know that there's how effective it is at thinning your blood, but... Um, so if you know about these drugs, I think it's fine. But if you uh, believe that there is a, a going to be a bleeding problem because of either the patient or um, other medications the patient's on, then sure, you need to consider that. But, you know, how does this affect my practice? Not very much is the honest answer. Yeah. So, so note for your part one for um, essentially, you know, knowing these things and, no, and knowing that they can have certain effects maybe. Uh, and we don't have too much evidence, have a, just have an index of suspicion in the back of your brain. But really, we're not making too many calls about cancellations and postponements based on this. It's, it's all. Yeah, there. I wouldn't be cancelling a patient unless, you know, you, know, you mm. think that they're on high doses of warfarin, aspirin, and yeah. something else. And, a, a hemophiliac with fish oil? Not great. Yeah, probably not. Um, well, I don't know. Fish oil, I, I haven't seen much evidence for um, here, yeah. so I don't know how effective it is in making you bleed. Oh, okay. but yeah, yeah, so certainly 
something to think about. And I guess, it, again, it'll be dose dependent. So those are the G ones. And the only, the one I, I do think that people need to know about is um, ephedra, which I think has been banned in Australia, um, but it has been used in, um, in Asia a bit. And that's because it's like ephedrine. <laughs> when that patient's saggy after, after operation, instead of I am ephedrine, just uh, give them a root of ephedra. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure how it comes. Uh, but yes, you're, you're quite right. Um, so ephedra is, <laughs> is probably one to know about. Um, and because that's certainly, I think the other name is Ma Huang. Um, so patients have might be on it if they brought it from overseas. <laughs> So that would be, and again, that would be important because that's going to be um, an indirect sympathomimetic. Um, so you're going to, you, you will have those, all of the effects of the sympathomimetics. In the and so that, that really is for um, staying awake, like a stimulant? Like yeah, so, um, and that's what people tend to use it for, um, for weight loss um, and as a, as a stimulant, a CNS stimulant. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to be cautious with other, um, sympathomimetics when you're using when patients on this but again it's not a long-acting agent just like ephedrine's not um, so do, if they stopped at 24 hours before that'll be okay oh interesting I, I've actually I mean I feel like I remember ephedrine the recess of my brain but I don't think I've even noticed it in the pharmacies or any health food stores at all I don't think it's available in Australia so much but you okay. um, yeah I, I suspect it's been banned um, and so those are the, the main ones. The, the other ones to know about, so if we've done the Gs, we've done the ephedra and the St. John's wort, um, and the other ones to know about are carver and valerian, which are the sedative type ones. Ah, interesting. I've actually tried carver back in the day when I was in an elective in Vanuatu. Yeah, it's how really, was that? Yeah, really, un, really unpleasant. It's like, mm. uh, so, you know, you, you drink it and it, it tastes like um, muddy water mm. and then you... Uh, it makes your mouth like a bit numb. So it's got the local anesthetic effect. And then it does make you feel like sedated, but it's almost like having a little bit of the enjoyment of alcohol, but then not, uh, but then having a hangover kind of feeling straight away. Yeah. And interestingly, because your mouth is numb, uh, when you're, yeah, when you're, when you're drinking it, uh, you just like the locals have this um, need to kind of spit. So when you go to the cover bars, the floor is just covered in saliva so it's just a different it's just a different environment <laughs> yep yep um <laughs> so there are quite a lot of active ingredients in cover um so it's not just one <laughs> so it's probably why it's got all of those effects <laughs> and yeah it's probably it probably is an acquired taste so as far as uh, we in ethicists are concerned um it, you might have a potentiation of benzos and induction agents if someone's acutely <laughs> intoxicated with carver. Um, the other thing is that um, you need to worry about hepatotoxicity with this one. Um, so there are some reports of hepatotoxicity with carver um, and so that patients who are on it chronically probably need to, to be monitored for that. I wonder if, I wonder if in, in the islands where most carver is drunk, I guess, um, I wonder if there is an increased rate of liver disease. Actually, I do remember there's two medical problems I saw in Vanuatu. One person had so much carver that had, they had carver skin, so had this really odd kind of skin 
conditioned based on trauma. And the other thing was just the accidents that occur. Someone uh, fell asleep, pushed over the kerosene lamp and really significant burns uh, from, from that. So just the, the effects of being asleep and drowsy around, around that situation. Yeah, I think those are the main problems uh, with carver. And, of course, the valerian we've spoken about before. So, again, it, that potentiates the GABA, GABAergic system. Um, and it's a, it's an anxiolytic as well and a hypnotic. But also a bit like diazepam, you've got to watch out for patients who are chronically on the stuff and uh, check out to see if they might have some withdrawal if they're dependent on it. Um, so those are the main things to know about those two agents. Um, and the final one I think that the trainees probably should be looking at is um, echinacea. Yeah, so echinacea is probably something we'll see a little bit of because there are lots of people out there wanting to boost their immune system. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, what do you mean? What? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, there's a pandemic. So <laughs> what pandemic? Um, yeah, yeah, what, what pandemic? So echinacea is um, a medication or a uh, herbal medication that um, some people will be taking, um, particularly for coughs and colds um, or chronically sometimes to prevent a cough or a cold. I certainly know a lot of, lot of um, people out there who, who use it for that purpose um, and it's mostly upper respiratory stuff that they're trying to avoid. Um, it actually does modulate cytokines <laughs> and it stimulates macrophages and natural killer cells. So um, the problems with echinacea are um, that it's, um, well, it tastes unpleasant is the first thing. Um, so patients, that's fine. I'm not taking it so they can have it. But it, it, um, there has been reports of anaphylaxis to it. Um, even with a simple, single dose. Not that that's really um, going to be a problem for us because we'll probably, may, we may encounter them in ED, but we certainly mm. won't be um, thinking about giving echinacea for the first time with an yeah. yeah. Um So that has been reported. Um, it can be hepat hepatotoxic. So this is another one that we've got to um, worry about. And um some people will um, will have an increased response to midazolam um, if they're on echinacea as well. So they might be a bit more drowsy if you're mm. giving midazolam. Um, one of the other things is that its um, its effects on the immune system are that it can um, it will reduce. Um, it will increase your immune response initially, but then it will um, reduce your immune response chronically if you take it for too long. Um, so that's the problem with it. So patients that need immunosuppression um, will actually be um, um, harmed by the use of echinacea. So if they're on transplant, uh, if they're going to be um, considered for a transplant, you probably should avoid it. Right. Yeah, because you want you it'll interfere with the immunosuppression that you need. And, and so if you had a patient on echinacea, it's just, it's mostly just to, um, for, for them to stop it if, if they were consideration of a transplant, not, not if they had like hepatic disease or renal disease, is that, um, is that right? Well, it's a hepatotoxic agent. Um, so probably it's not a great idea if you've got hepatic disease um, to be on it. So it will impair your liver function. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it's 
in a otherwise in a otherwise healthy patient, I don't think it's going to be a great problem if you're. Um, but if you're on it chronically, um, you may, you know, how I said it, it stimulates your immune system initially for the first few uh, few weeks or months, and then potentially it will be um, you'll have immunosuppression later on. So um, this is kind of, I think, um, if you're if you've got someone on it, you've got to think about um, seriously advising them to stop this one. Yeah, and that the minimum time would be two weeks for this one. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and I'm trying to think like, so in, you know, the fact that I don't take a um, history specifically for alternate medicines, probably, probably, not the wor- probably not the worst thing, but yeah, maybe in very specific circumstances like immuno, tra- immunocompromised patients or transplants that, you know, do you, re- do you reckon surgeons are going searching for this history? Because I know some surgeons always ask about fish oil and the, and the Gs. Um, mm. but in the anesthetic context, again, probably not as necessary uh, because we, you know, there's no contraindication with um, regional anesthesia or significant enough bleeding risk that thing, things are going to go really badly. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, correct. So, I mean, it's not going to be usually a huge problem for us. It's going to be a problem for the surgeons mostly. Um, hmm. And, you know, I, I guess I don't know that there's a lot of evidence, but I'm uh, certainly people, surgical um, people will know about it. Um, if there's um, trouble with your immunosuppressants. Yeah. yeah, excellent. So for not much, Mandy, there's actually quite a bit there, isn't there? Like, uh, so you've got uh, you've got the St. John Awards, you've got the garlic, ginger, ginkgo, ginseng, and then you've got the sedatives, kava and valerian, and then you've got um, ephedra, and then you've also got echinacea. That's, yeah, that's, so- a, that's, a, that's a great list. And I think that's, enough yeah. that's plenty it's plenty, plenty. To, to know yeah, about um, yeah. and and i guess the message really is um take a history of or ask the patient um what else they could be on and and bear in mind that some of these products have more than one active ingredient in them um and then if you don't know about it or if you never heard of it um there's always google <laughs> look it up before you start anesthetizing them um and if you do have a problem particularly with emergence have a think about um whether or not this is this could be due to a, a herbal medication that perhaps you haven't asked about okay so um yeah that, that's pretty much a wrap of the information i imagine yeah that's more than enough no excellent no it's great thanks very much uh, amanda that was so useful such a great insight into all those different medications uh, so that's it from anesthesia coffee break thanks so much and next time we're actually going to get amanda on to talk about illicit drugs and these actually have a you know very very potent very efficacious pharmacological effects that can really affect anesthesia uh, so that'll be a really interesting episode so yeah make sure you subscribe to us so that you don't miss that so thanks very much and we'll see you again next time please share with anyone who might be interested see you again bye Thank you.